Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? Hello. We're excited to be joined today by one of our dedicated listeners, somebody who happened to stumble upon our show from the very beginning and has been watching and supporting us since then. He has a pretty neat life journey that he wants to share with us, and we are so excited to hear about it. Kyler Canastra is a fourth-generation Azorian-American from New Bedford, Massachusetts, right near our stomping grounds where we grew up. And he studied linguistics and now lives full-time in Lisbon, which is pretty cool and interesting. He works in multilingual content marketing and social media management. We might reach out for like a quote. I don't think we can afford you. <laughs> I don't think we can afford you. But you never know. <laughs> we do need those services. <laughs> Welcome, Kyler. Welcome. Yeah, I happened to stumble upon the show and I was like, I really identify with these people in terms of just like the stories you're telling and, you know, about the culture and also like the nostalgia part of it and mental health. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to DM them on Instagram. I really don't care. <laughs> I feel like we got to be sometimes in life. You just got to be really direct and just, you know, make yourself known. So I was like, hey, I think I'd be a good guest for the show. So here I am. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so any other listeners take note that if you're listening to the show and you think you'd want to come on and talk to us, just shoot us a message and we will have you on. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So I'm really happy to be here with you guys. I think the first thing we're going to touch on is mm -hmm. fourth generation. So we yeah. grew up, we have parents who immigrated and Kelly and I were like counting on our fingers. We're like, trying <laughs> to do, do the, the generation math. We're like, so like great grandparents came over. We're like, great tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's my like, I don't know, Portuguese identity is a bit weird in the sense that it's very like far back, but also like mixed. So like, the closest generation for me is the fourth generation, which is my dad's grandparents. So on his paternal right. side, and they were from San Miguel, um, from the Nordvest area. So one from Salaga and one from Patera Grande. Oh, so no, we we're probably cousins. Cousins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably are. Trust me, that's a story that's going to come up in a second. It could be interesting. Um, <laughs> and then on my dad's maternal side, his, his great-grandfather was from Corvo, which is the smallest island mm -hmm. in the Azores. Um, which is really weird because I went like in 2015 with my family and it was like 20 people waiting at the airport and they were like, we're cousins. And I'm like, how is this possible? But I guess with 300 <laughs> people, everyone's kind of related, which is kind of strange, but a very common thing in our community. Yes. And then my mom's side, her mother's family. So my grandmother doesn't know who her father was, but it turns out after some ancestry DNA and some research that we did that he's also from San Miguel from Nordvest. So my parents are kind of like, fourth cousins which is very interesting because like on ancestry dna it says like mother and then related on your father's side and then father related to you on your mother's side and like, <laughs> strange but i turned out okay so that's pretty it's so common though but then my mom's maternal like lineage i guess goes back to Teseda, um okay. which is like a far back but i actually just went in october with my grandmother um and we actually met our second cousin by chance so like we still have family there as well so it's interesting because everyone's like fourth generation that's so far back, but I feel like our community is such like, it maintains the culture. Like for me, I grew up with a very strong understanding of my Portuguese culture, especially on my dad's side. I just feel like there's a lot of pride on that side and all like the customs and traditions were maintained except the language. So like, which is a you know, pain in the ass in the way because I've always was like, why don't I speak these languages? But understanding and like speaking to my grandparents a lot of the time, because like three of them spoke um, different languages. So two of them actually spoke Portuguese and one of them spoke French growing up. Oh, and wow. 
Yeah. So a lot of them, like they just had a lot of shame related to like speaking in foreign language. So like my dad's father, for example, was so ashamed of um, not being able to speak English in school that he, he refused to let his parents speak Portuguese in the house. So like, I always ask my dad, like, how the hell did you like communicate with your grandparents? And he's like, I don't know. So like, I guess like I've known, I, we hear a lot of words. We use a lot of words, a lot of swear words still. Um, <laughs> but like my dad never really had true contact because like his father reflect, like refused for his parents to like let them speak Portuguese in the house. And then my mom's mom, for example, like, she just came here and it was really cool because she was able to understand a lot and like get speak. And it was really cute. She was just like trying, you know, after like, I forget, like 60 years of not speaking with a lot of people in her day-to-day life. That's super interesting to me because I think when I was reading, I read like a bunch of stuff about immigration and at the time and a lot of the earliest immigrants, they assimilated because there wasn't a huge community around them when they first came over. They were like the pioneers. They were first coming over and they had huge pressure to assimilate. So they didn't want to be speaking Portuguese Mm -hmm. or be known as like the foreigners in that community until enough of them came over and then they like found their identity as a community together. And then they didn't have to assimilate as much. So like our parents came over much later and they, you know, my grandparents didn't really learn English or anything like that, but like the generation before them, if they had immigrated, they had huge pressure. So that's not surprising to me that your grandfather had that rule. Yeah. It's just really interesting. Cause like he played a big role in the Portuguese community. Like my dad would always tell me how like he would, help interpret for like the politicians that were like in the area and like to the Portuguese like immigrant community and like, you know, use his language in a lot of helpful ways. But it's just a shame that like American culture at the time, and I mean, still to this day, slightly frowns upon like speaking different languages and like seeing the beauty that's behind that. And I think that's kind of driven me to like, like take these languages back and learn it myself. Yeah. So something before I forget that you had mentioned on like the ancestry and the cousins, the ancestry app. I it might I don't know when it updated, but it the last time I just went into it this week, it made me download a new app because I had an old Ancestry DNA app or whatever. That, that and, just happened to me this week too. I just got mine, so I just ordered mine. Oh, really? and I just submitted it, and I had told me to download one app, so I mm-hmm. did it. And then as I did my login for that one, it's like, please download oh, the no. other app. So, I had to so it must have been brand new change that they just switched over to a new app. Yeah, so I downloaded, it, but it had a lot of new features and stuff on it. So I was looking through and now the old app didn't do this, but now it separates your DNA matches into sides of the family. So it says, you know, this is these matches are from your mom's side or parent one, they call it. They don't know mom or dad. And then these are from parent two. And then there's a third category. And it's like, these are matches on both sides of your family. And there's too many people in that category. (laughs) (laughs) Which like makes sense, I guess, if you think about it, like going back, it's more kind of all related but still it's kind of weird to see that like in it life. is and there's like a little like star like disclaimer on it and it says something like uh if you see matches on both sides it could be because your family came from an island or from- exactly <laughs> oh that's so yep, funny <laughs> it's always like the worst day like grandparents day at school because <laughs> like this <laughs> happened to my sister and me like be like oh like i remember like a girl in my class had a crush on me and like oh it was a big deal and then my grandmother came she's like that's your cousin and then like it happened to my, my sister, like she had a big crush on that kid in her class. And then it was like grandparents day. That's your cousin. Oh, oh, that happened to me. I was with a prom with my cousin. Oh, no. <laughs> I had such a crush on this kid in high school. And my so I mean, we talked about it in an episode, I think my grandmother died and he showed up to my grandmother's wake. 
And mm. I thought it's because he had a crush on me. I was like, oh, he likes me, you know, blah, blah, blah. He feels bad. My grandma died. And my father's like, oh, that's your cousin. And I was like, oh, God. I <laughs> know. Uh, <laughs> a lot of crazy stories on Ancestry DNA. For sure. <laughs> but it's actually a really cool tool. So, like, and I've done a lot of research, like, on the genealogy and, like, going back to, like, the 1600s in the Azores. It's been, like, interesting to see, like, where my family came from. I'm, like, a very big genealogy, like, nerd in that sense. So, if you guys ever need help with anything, let me know. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to get my results. To find out and see, like, and it's very accurate from what yeah. I Yeah. Yeah. It definitely says, like, the exact island, like, exactly where my family's from, and, like, all it hits all the marks. And then, oh, like, yeah. I have Canadian roots as well. And it's, like, it's actually really interesting because, like, my mom's family, we thought, oh, yeah, French Canadian, but they actually were Acadian, which, like, the people that were, like, genocided and, like, exiled from um, Newfoundland, like, that area. And they, oh. like, settled in Louisiana. So, like, we have a lot of relatives, like, who are Cajun because they're the Cajun people in Louisiana. So, like, Answer Street's, like, yeah, opened a lot of doors. That's really cool. That's cool. So you didn't grow up speaking Portuguese in the home. Not. No. But you were doing all of the Portuguese traditions. You were still do them. <laughs> you still do. <laughs> I fly home every year for my procession and my fish. Do you really? I carry the eight hundred pound statue of the Virgin Mary. No Senhora. De- <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why like that episode I think you guys did about that. And I was just dying laughing because I'm like, I can relate so much. I feel like that whole I mean, we do it every year and like, I mean, every summer it was like every weekend was a different fish then you go like around like Fall River and New Bedford and in the area. But like ours is always Labor Day weekend. So for me, like I remember like growing up and being forced to like dress up as John the Baptist and like have all this fur <laughs> for me and like literally like, just hating every moment of it and just being like, this is so like freaking itchy, like, ah. but now like I go back and like, even though like it's still like kind of like what are we doing like carrying this big statue like right. you know it's in Fairhaven because that's actually where I grew up so like the town over from New Bedford or as we would say Fairhaven <laughs> the river and like we have it so we're like walking down the street like in the middle it's nothing like cre- I don't know it's just like what are we doing but like I guess it's tradition <laughs> that we do it and I try to fly back every year for it still so I went this year as well and I went to like so basically it's based on a um, a festa that they have in on San Miguel in Agua de Pau, which is like a city like in the south side, or town, I guess you could say, not city. That's Kelly, isn't that where your mom's from? Yeah, Agua de Pau, right? Yeah, so like, yeah, our that's where my mom's from. Yeah, so like, I guess like when my great grandparents emigrated, a bunch of people from the island, didn't matter where you're from, they took that like fish and brought it um, oh, okay. to the US. So like, I went, actually went this year in August to like with my family to like see the real one again. I've been like multiple yep. times and then went back this year. So I doubled, doubled up this year in my Virgin Mary. Oh my god! <laughs> so I'm gonna assume since you did all these fashions that you didn't play any sports as a kid. Oh, I did. So oh, I think you did. That maybe, that's like one thing I like was listening on the show. And I'm like, I don't think like my parents were probably too Americanized in that sense, but like, yeah, played sports, basketball, soccer. My parents were always very much like do everything, so like music and sports and all that. So yeah, I did. So, but we did have to do like the sopas and you know. Sing the do the rosary during first period to send through and yeah, all that stuff, which the is like bizarre as well. <laughs> the soup, so the soupish, like I love soupish, but I feel like it's just like a nostalgic thing. I'm like, is this all nostalgia? Is this objectively good? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> There's not much in it, <laughs> like, literally, like poor people food, and not to say that in a mean way, but it is very, oh, little, it is, yeah, but literally, it is a nostalgia thing. Like, I always feel like I want to like just have it just to feel like I'm at home. I know exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, just like I always felt like, and also like on a side note, like my family's in the fishing industry. Like my dad's a fisherman, and then my sister and my dad and my uncle all like own a seafood auction in New Bedford. 
Um, so like that's a huge like have huge like influence of um, Portuguese people in that industry as well. So it's always like growing up going to all these like Portuguese weddings because you like kind of like mob status. <laughs> like you gotta like invite everyone in your business. Like I always say, my sister's wedding is gonna be horrendously huge because it's gonna be like all these like business people and like in Portuguese culture, like obviously a big deal. Like you invite that person to the wedding, like you have to invite them to yours, and like it was just all about like the the show and the glitz of it. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Is that the Fisherman's Club in New Bedford growing up? <laughs> like, you know. That's how I felt my uh, gra- college graduation was the same thing, was just like mob status. I love that you exactly. just said that. <laughs> it is. <laughs> because it is it mob is. status when it comes to them. Yeah, my dad thinks he's like Tony Soprano sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll let him keep believing that for sure. But I always, love that so much. Just we roll in deep. Bayesorians roll in deep when it comes it to is. family and friends and big, like the fish does, having big parties. We love that. They so. know, and they know everybody. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's crazy. Like, I just feel like everyone knows. My dad's like one of six and like all of them, like a lot of them are teachers in school and like everyone just knows the Canastro family. So it's always like, oh, you're a can-. Like, I always like hated going to those events as a child. Everyone would be like, oh, I remember you were this big or like you're this one son. And I'm like, just, I don't know you and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fun. Like now that like, I'm an adult and I can look back on it, it's like, I'm really glad that I was like raised in a very tight knit community that like maintained a lot of that like identity as well yeah it's a funny thing the relationship that you have with it because as a kid you absolutely you don't Mm -hmm. even realize what you're a part of at that point in time you just Mm -hmm. that's all you know that's what you're growing up you know you think everybody's doing this and they're (laughs) they're not you know but but it's just such it was that area that we grew up in the fall river near bedford area is the most like densely portuguese like community in the country i think you know mm-hmm. it's so is that too and i'm always like you don't get it and whenever I, I would bring someone to like see it they're like oh i get it now but it's like <laughs> you know we have all the restaurants and the and you can go see fadu and you can go to the consulate in new bedford like there's all these diff- i don't know just like it feels like you're in portugal sometimes just like with all the people there and like it just really is a special place i think right but like growing up you we didn't know any different yeah, that was just growing yeah. up was portuguese I think you said that in one of the episodes. I was like, that's so true. <laughs> like, I feel like when I went to like a middle school, I went to like a private middle school, like a very small school um, in Dartmouth. And um, I remember being like, wait, not everyone's Portuguese here. Like, you just assumed that everyone was, or French Canadian, because I was allowed. They were like the only two groups that could like inter- mix, I guess you could say. <laughs> right. uh, and it was just like, wait, you're not? I just assumed that everyone was. And then people, then you realize too, like, people don't know, like, what's Portugal? And I feel like now I get really frustrated because, oh. like, everyone knows what Portugal, like, where it is. And it's, like, a very hot spot right now yes. for travel. And I'm, like, yep. I grew up the whole, my whole life trying to explain to you, like, what this country was. And it wasn't popular. It wasn't popular but, or the hot spot to go. No, it was not. <laughs> it really was an eye-opening experience, like, leaving that community and being, like, oh, wait, like, it's special what we have. And you don't realize it until you leave. I'm sure, yep. like, Melissa, in your experience, like, you're in New Hampshire, right? I feel like yes. so. That's yep. a big culture shock. And it's not far away. It's like a, no. a two hour drive from the area, but it's an it's far enough away that like people here, there's not, I don't think I've met a Portuguese person in New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no culture here. There's not a single Portuguese restaurant. They some of the grocery stores will have like one Charisse, like mm-hmm. gas Gaspar's Charisse that they'll send and it makes its way up here, but that's about it. That's very limited. You can't get Charisse on a pizza or anything like that. So that was the uh, biggest. That was like, that I was tough. Never. For me. <laughs> I've been up here for like 12 years now, but for the first like several years, every time my parents visited me, they would come with two Atlas pizzas from Fall River <laughs> in their car, like just Charisse pizzas. 
we can talk about that later oh, on good. too if we talk about me living here but like you realize a lot of azorian things are only azorian things so i can't mm-hmm. like i still like want to go home and get some of my like malasadish and like all these like good things that i can't get oh that's interesting that's interesting we'll have to touch on that but let's so let's get into you actually went and started studying mm-hmm. language or linguistics and so kind of take us through that journey because you did some studying on like immigrant communities too and how that language is involved there so tell us about that yeah so i went to undergrad i went to holy cross which is a college in worcester massachusetts and i went in being like i'm going to study psychology and be a psychologist which i'm still interested in those topics now but wasn't the right fit for me at the time so then we had to take a language so i was like well i was taking spanish before and why not like continue with that we have to take two semesters of it anyways but then i actually like fell in love with it and i think a lot of it was because basically you're very much encouraged to go abroad and study abroad and it's for a full year um and what we do is like we send students abroad to like the different like spanish-speaking countries and then from those universities they send like um foreign language assistants um to the universe like to holy cross so like we actually was like the first time i could like use my spanish skills i think and like actually like communicate with people and for me that was just like a thrill and i was like i really want to do this like i love it i'm gonna and like if they had portuguese i would have done that fully but we didn't which i feel like that's a big (laughs) issue like growing up like not having like i feel like there was no portuguese language i feel like bishop staying was like the only school in the area that i could think of that had like portuguese umass dartmouth had a portuguese program yeah <laughs> so like i mean i should have went there if i realized i wanted to <laughs> but i guess too late so then um i was like i'm gonna go to spain and i always knew i wanted to go to europe so then i studied abroad in a city called leon which is like in the northwest part of spain and I loved it. And I was there for 11 months and I lived with the host family, went to like Spanish university and just like had to survive um, and like use my language skills. So it was really a difficult, but like life-changing experience in that sense. So then I knew I wanted to move back um, to Spain. So like I had my senior year to finish. So I was like going back to the US, but knowing that I wanted to go back and like the easiest way to go back to Spain as an American is to teach English um, because the English level in Spain is quite low. <laughs> um, they're notorious in Europe for not having a high level of English. So like they have a lot of jobs where you're like a teaching assistant in a high school um, or in like an elementary school. So I got placed in a high school my first year in a city called Valladolid, which is like an hour on the train north of Madrid. I lived in Leon again. And then after living in Leon and teaching English, I was like, ah, I need to like, and it was a very easy job. I will fully say that. Like I lived really <laughs> I, I taught like 12 hours a week, made a good salary for like Spain where I was living and just like drank and ate all the time. So that was awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, <and> awesome. <laughs> but I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, you're two years out of college. Like maybe you should like be mature now and like, you know, do something with your life. So I always had thought, like, especially when I graduated, like, cause I did research. So that's where we come back linguistics. But I did research. Um, I really love like sociolinguistics. So like how language and identity and like culture and people, how it has that impact on it. So like in my undergrad, I did a lot of research on Puerto Ricans living in New York. So like I was always fascinated. And I think by growing up in a bilingual community, this really like inspired me, but like code switching in languages. And I'm sure that's something that you both have experienced in your life is when you switch in between the two languages very fluidly. And it's just like, it's something that's very much like looked down upon, I think, but it's actually like something that should be celebrated because like these people have the capacity to like switch between languages because they know both languages so well that it's very effortless for them. And Puerto Ricans are very notorious in the Spanish-speaking world for doing that um, because they are, like, I would say a U.S. colony, but, like, I don't want to get political either, but, like, they're still part of the U.S. <laughs> they're American citizens, but, like, very much Spanish-speaking. But that influence that they had on the island has been very, like, eminent in, like, the music and the culture. But also, like, I looked a lot at um, New York Ricans, so, like, New York, like, Puerto Ricans living in New York. 
um, because it's just really cool. And I feel like maybe, you know, you could identify with this as well. It's this whole like um, idea of like being, not being from here, but not being from there either. So it's like you're in the, the middle of two cultures. So, like a lot of Puerto Ricans feel like they aren't from the island. So like people from the island will look down upon them, but they're not American. And, but they are American, but they're not American enough to be American. So it's like mm-hmm. this really in-between identity, which I'm sure in your experiences you ex- mm-hmm. would understand. Um, and it's reflected a lot in New York and Spanish. So like a lot of times, like they would say like el building or like a, a skyscraper, even though like the right word is rascacielos in Spanish. But they would say el building because edificio, which is another word of saying building in Spanish, is like a shorter building. But the taller buildings, which they had never seen before on an island, they have like they would create new words for mm-hmm. those concepts that they never really had where they were from. So like I did a lot of research on that, which led me to then going back to when I was in Spain <laughs> to my getting my master's in Madrid, which I did not know what I was signing up for. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I want to do this. But then it was like, you're the only non-Spanish person and 17 people. And it was probably the most intense year of my life, but <laughs> I survived. And it kind of, <laughs> and I did, I wrote a hundred page thesis in Spanish and I did like my research was on Americans living in Spain and how they use code switching. So like switching between English and Spanish as a way to like show um, identity amongst like the American community in Spain. So I did a lot of like interviews and a lot of qualitative research on that. But then I kind of realized like, I don't want to go into academia. I just, I, I learned one, I realized I wanted to stay in Spain. So I was like kind of lying to myself the whole time being like, yeah, I'm going to go back to the US. And I wanted to do a master's in Europe. because It was much, much cheaper than doing it. Um, in the United States, but then I was like, "Yeah, I'll go and get my PhD and you know be a Spanish like um, linguist, basically, and like be a professor." And I was like, "I don't want to sit in a library for the rest of my life." So I was like, well, "Okay, what can I do?" And then I had—I mean, this could be a whole episode of itself. We're not. <laughs> I had visa issues, and I was going to teach English after I graduated from my master's. I got visa issues, and I was kind of like slightly illegal for a bit. Um, in- <laughs> Um, and I basically it was like a very it was like a hard moment in my life but it was a life-changing moment because I was kind of like uh I don't know like what I'm gonna do and like I I don't have a visa and like I have a master's degree but like what I was doing at the time was I was an Airbnb host for like one of my English students who I was still teaching and I started freelancing for the company I work for now a multilingual social media and content creation agency um where we like basically work we create content, so like a lot of digital content and like manage social media accounts in multiple European languages for brands that like, it's very difficult, obviously, to break into the European market. That led me to where I am now, which I think like my studies in linguistics is actually very helpful when it comes to pragmatics and like intercultural communication and being able to understand like, you know, you're, when you learn a language, you're not just learning the language itself. You're learning like the culture and like the, you know, attitudes and the, you know, gestures and everything that goes behind it as well. So like, I feel like in my job today and being a foreigner abroad, like you meet so many different people that have different backgrounds and speak different languages. And sometimes like you have to be more aware of like, they're not being rude. This is how they communicate things in their culture. Yes. So like the code switching thing was so interesting because of course we do that, but I don't think I've ever like associated the word with it. Like I've never been calling it code switching. It's just right. thing that we've always done. We do it on our podcast yeah. all the time. <laughs> I do it at home every day. <laughs> exactly. So with my parents. <laughs> That's just, it really like, it's representative of like the immigrant experience, I think, a lot of times and having like living between those two worlds, I think it's like it's really fascinating. And I think, you know, sometimes just you can express things in different languages, like in a better way one versus the other so like for me for example there's so many things that like i love swearing in spanish like that's just something <laughs> i love to do even though it's not and i love it in english too but i feel like it's such more there's so much more passion in it so like 
sometimes when I express frustration, like, I'll swear to myself in Spanish all the time. So it's kind of like, I don't know, like, think of sudad, the word in Portuguese. Like, right. there's no way of translating that. But that's just a feeling that, like, I feel like everyone in the Portuguese, like, diaspora and, like, in Portugal, like, have they understand that feeling without knowing how to describe it. It's like a certain, it's a way of being in a way. So, like, I feel like there's certain words or expressions that just make more sense in one language than the other. And I just think, like, for me, bilingualism was always fascinating, cause, like, growing up in a world where like i did have that contact with people switching between languages all the time and just wanted to know how like the brain worked and how that and it's like i think it's just something like i said it's very stigmatized to like switch between languages like oh you don't speak the right dialect or or that's the whole conversation too with Azorian Portuguese. but like like there's always like you don't speak well or like you know you're not speaking proper and it's like no that's just not that's just like how you express yourself and it's a tool to do that um and it's really like representative of your experience as like being like a child of an immigrant or an immigrant yourself and like for me like with my research about americans in spain like that was very reflective of my experience because that is like my american friends in spain like we code switch all the time because like there's so many different like expressions and phrases that just make sense in spanish or like i don't know like for like my whole adult experience like since i graduated college has been abroad so like i still don't can't tell you like how to you know rent an apartment or pay utilities like i used to forget the word for utilities because i would say it in spanish all the time because that's how i knew it it was my mm-hmm. experience. So like, I think when it comes to language learning in general, it's so important to like have contact with the language and like you learn by doing. So like, I will learn how to like survive a doctor's visit by going to the doctors. Like you kind of just have to do these things. Um, but then that's how you learn the language. So sometimes you might have words that might just be more representative like to you in one language than the other. Yeah. And so then then you get into like the making up words. So aside from code switching, which is really kind of going in and out of the two languages, then you get like the mixture of the two languages and whatever <laughs> made up words we start to have. Yes. And there's plenty of them in the Azorian community as well. And especially where we're from. So like Estoa, for example, instead of Loja, which is how you say store properly. I love I yeah. love Estoa. It's never yeah. gonna not be Estoa. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a friend here who like is Portuguese American as well and like said that and they were like, What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> don't know the words or like closeta for closet. Oh yes. Frieza for freezer, you know, all the basqueta. And like I love calling market basket market basket. <laughs> 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 we just like make it fun. <laughs> That's what my mom says when she's gonna go to market basket. She's just like, Oh, Ipsy Pubasketa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? So before we started recording this, you told us that your last name actually mm-hmm. means basket. Does. I've never heard that word in my life. I've only yeah. heard bushketa. <laughs> I actually have a cool story with that. So like my whole life I've been told like that it's a fish basket. And it was just like very ironic because my family is in the fishing industry and it's just like, okay, like I guess my ancestors liked fish or whatever. But actually I did a lot of research <laughs> too, like on a side note, since like on San Miguel, for example, like everyone was related. And has like um same last name, they would sometimes take like their profession and make it a last name. So my assumption is like my family made those types of baskets or had something to do with those baskets to differentiate themselves. And actually, like the canastra relative that came in, his last name was actually Cabral. So it was like Cabral and Canastra. But then in immigration, they thought Cabral was his middle name, but it's actually his last name. So we got stuck with Canastra, which I love because it's really, I don't know, it's a very unique name. And like living in Portugal now, people were like, what? Like they understand that it's a word they know what it is but like right. it's a last name so actually my mom was here like in october and her and i like went to like this this really cool like portuguese like store everything just made of cork and like all these different things for the house it's kind of like kind of luxury but like affordable which is really nice 
And then we went and the guy like when she was paying with her credit card, he was like, your last name, you know what that is, right? And I'm like, we're like, yeah, you're like a fish basket. And that's the first time that anyone really like here living here after like a year and a half, like anyone said that. He's like, I have one. Do you want to see it? So like whips out <laughs> the canasta. And of course, I was like, you, you did great like marketing because I'm going to buy this. <laughs> <Was it> <laughs> But now I have the canestra in my house. You actually hear the word a lot in, in Fadu songs, which is really interesting. I don't know why, but they always are talking about canestras. I don't know fish why. Basket. That's uh, that's so interesting. Carry on the head, like the fish they put on the basket and on their head. The women would wear it. Carry oh, on. Okay. Oh. But yeah, they totally did that with um, last names where they were just, you know, if you were Manny from the city, you'd be Manel Cidad. And that was yeah, it. So- like that. Yeah. <laughs> Like I actually, um, the, my grand, my dad's maternal Portuguese connection from Cordovu, like he was, um, and the last name is Alfedish, which is like a military position, and that's what he was. So he, this guy, I guess, apparently that's what we were told, generation after generation, that he thought he was like the hot shit, basically, and it like changed his last name to that. So like again, that's like people will be like, that's such a weird last name, but it is a last name. Azorians are just we're weird in that sense. Like, <laughs> we don't have rules. <laughs> like, yeah, like we, no. just, like, we do it up. <laughs> we do it the way we want. It's the last names and the birthdays. They've oh, always, yeah. uh, birthdays are always a mess. Always, they don't know which one it is. And like, <laughs> especially they've done a lot of genealogical research. And it's like, that was not right. Like, I mean, my dad's grandparents, like, I think his grandmother, like, took the same, like, year as her husband. But I think a lot of the time they were illiterate. So like, they didn't really know or they didn't know yeah. the exact birth date. So, like, I feel like they would make it up. So, like, a lot of time you're doing research and you're like, okay, the American version is this day that they celebrated, but actually they were born on this day. So, it was, like, by doing that work, you learn a lot of, like, oh, this is all messed up or, like, all over the place. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so true. So, eventually you decided to make the move from Spain to Portugal. Yeah. Kind of connect with your roots more. Yeah. So, I think the pandemic was a great topic. We're finally, like, getting out of it, which is great. But um, it was rough. And, like, in Spain, it was rough. Um, I was living in Madrid and we, I only left my apartment like once a week because like oh, we wow. couldn't even, we couldn't even go for a walk. I just, like, it was like very frustrating. Like y'all are complaining in the U S and like you guys can walk <laughs> on the street. Like I'm like, I'm in like a police state, but like I live next door to a police station, literally next door in a supermarket. So like I only could go to the supermarket. That's the only reason why I could leave or the pharmacy. So I was like, I couldn't even go around the block because the police officers are always outside. So I was like really trapped. So I had a really rough experience there. and then. So I kind of made me start, we, I had like two and a half months by myself in an apartment. So like, I started reflecting on my life, whatever. And then I was like, am I happy here? Or like, I just kind of went back and forth. And then... <laughs> not you know, a great time to not, be asking yourself that question. <laughs> You're happy? Not happy here, but yeah, in this apartment. But I'm like in Spain in general. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like I kind of reached all my goals and I still wasn't happy. I had a lot of friends. You know, I had the job I wanted. I had the job contract, which everyone in Spain wants, where they really can't fire you unless you like do something really bad. Like I had all these like really good things, um, but I was like, I'm not happy. And then my gra- my dad's mother died October 2020, and for me that was like a very big. And you know, funerals in Portuguese families are just like I think 800 people went to her wake in the middle of COVID. We weren't <laughs> supposed to do that, but like we did it. Um, and I think there, it was like eight hours long that we were there. It was a long. Again, rules don't apply. Rules do not apply. We're like, <laughs> we're doing it. spreader <laughs> event. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I got COVID, though. So I was like, Grandma, check this because this is for you. But then I think just like that moment and I don't know, like my family and like for me, it's family has always been so important to like my identity and who I am. I kind of felt like this nostalgia, so sadad, right, for my culture and my people. And I was like, but I don't want to move back to the U.S. So it's kind of because I really like living in Europe and I love my life here. And like, I do love Spain. And um, I think that's been the interesting, like, 
thing to navigate. It's just that I love Spain and I get to go a lot because of work. I think I went like six times this year. And it's so close, like flying to Madrid is 45 minutes from here in a plane. So it's very easy to get to. But I was just like, I miss that. But like, I'm never going to be Spanish. But I feel like I am, like I have that Portuguese in me. And I really wanted to explore that more. So kind of had a whole moment of like, what am I doing with my life? And I miss the ocean as well, like growing up near the ocean and like eating seafood all the time. Like I don't have that in Madrid. And then I like decide, I remember exactly where it was. It was like right after Christmas, I have a kitchen counter and I just like had a moment of like, why not Portugal? And I started kind of going down this like spiral of like doing research. And then it was actually really funny when I told my parents. So I told my mom first, I think, and she was very supportive. And then I told my dad and I was like, guess where I want to go? And he's like, oh, like, you know, Latin America. And I was like, and they always make fun of me because I'm all over the place. Like, I travel a lot. I like to just move and be seeing new places and ex- experiencing new things. So they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to go to like Colombia or something like that. Like, no, it's like closer to home, but not home. And then my dad was like, Portugal. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you're going to move to Ponce Vegada. And I was like, hell <laughs> no. <laughs> like, dad, I'm 30 years. Like, at the time, I was like 29. I'm like, uh, I'm single. I'm alone. Like, I'm going to make friends or like meet people. Like, not. Yeah. Or they're all gonna be my cousins like no so we're, <laughs> we're moving to lisbon so i kind of just like i knew like one and a half people here i think <laughs> one of them was like i had this friend that now lives down the street from me and she used to work with me and she's from north carolina um this is actually a really cool story and i'll put it in here why not so she like loved portugal and like was obsessed with portugal and like came here all the time when we were living in madrid and i was like i never met someone that's like so obsessed with portugal besides me um, or people in like us in this community. Um, and then she was like, you know what? I'm moving. She like quit her job. I was like, I'm just going to like figure my stuff out. And she's like, I feel called to be in Portugal. And then I like during the pandemic, she was kind of doing a lot of research in her family. And she was like, I know my family is like my mother's family is Jewish from Amsterdam, but that's it. And it turns out like after a lot of research, 17 generations back, her family were Sephardic Jews living in Portugal. Like they had like, she realized they all had like like last names. She was like, what am I Portuguese? And it turns out she, her family were exiled during the Inquisition. So she just applied for Portuguese nationality based on that. So like I knew her here. So like I had this another cool American that loved Portugal as much. And then I had like, a, I used to do like translations for like the energy of the Portugal, which is like the big energy company here. And um, we had to do a lot of urgent work. And I did a lot with a Brazilian girl who, like, we never met until I moved here. But, like, she was my half-friend because we didn't know each other <laughs> in real life. But she also, like, vouched for me and, like, for my visa. I had to, like, get, a, um, like, someone to say they would let me, like, stay with them if I didn't have a house. And she wrote a letter saying she'd financially support me for four months without having met me. So now wow. she's a friend. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, so- you owe her that at least. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a shout out to Raquel. But then, um, yeah, I just like took a risk and I was like, I'm going to move here. I just felt very called. And I am um, at the same time, I was a bit crazy and I was like, I'm going to buy a house. So I bought an apartment here. Wow. And yeah, so now I live in a nice three bedroom apartment in Lisbon. It's fun. Awesome. Yeah. So, well, so we know where we're staying when we go visit yeah. Lisbon. <laughs> have a place to stay. It's at the top of the list that we're trying to plan like a girl's trip to Lisbon um, or just Portugal, the mainland in general, because I've never been to the mainland. Mm. I've only been Same. to the Azores. Yeah. It's very different. Very I know. I've, I've gathered that it's very different. And like the thing that was shocking to me is like the lack of knowledge of the Azores here in like the continent. Like people don't know. Like they just don't know like the food or like it's either like they know and they love it. Like they know, like for example, the guy who put my TV on the wall. We were chatting in Portuguese, whatever. And then, like mid conversation, he was like, "But you're not like 
Portuguese, Portuguese. It's like, no, like my accent's probably off, freaking weird. <laughs> but like, no, I'm I'm like Azorian American. Like, and he's like, oh, you're from New Bedford. Like, he knew right away. And I was like, uh-huh. no, but he's like, it's just like if you know, you know. But most people don't know. So a lot of times it's just like they never tried the food. They never even been there, even though it's like a two and a half hour flight. They just haven't been. So there's like a lack of like awareness of what the Azores are. And like, here I am, like so proud. And like, I love the food. I love like the culture and just how it is. But it's so different than what it is in Lisbon. That's so interesting to me because I that was like a question I had coming into this podcast was going to be kind of how the continent folks view the Azores. And I'm not surprised, I guess, to hear that they're not as connected as we would think, because Mm -hmm. yes, now with like modern you know, technology and travel and all that, it's a lot easier to get there, but it was not an easy journey No, no in, in the past. So like those weird islands out there, they're doing whatever the hell they want to do. And there's not a whole lot of connection to the mainland. Like it no. was just, I feel like there's more like, like tension between like Azorians and people from the continent in New Bedford, for example, than here. I feel like growing up, it right. always like the Azorians were like dumb poor farming people which is like, okay, kind of accurate. Like, we're not done. (laughs) (laughs) Were our ancestors poor? Yes. (laughs) Like, that's true. But it doesn't mean we're less, like, we're not as good as, you know, people from the mainland. Here, they don't really care so much. It's just more of, like, they're there. And that's it. Like, there's only one Azorian restaurant in the city, which I'm like, I want to start my own. And first of all, I'm not going to say the name because I don't want to. They're really nice people, but they're all Brazilian that work there, first of all. They don't know anything about Azorian food. I know more. (laughs) <laughs> but like, it's like they have like bullshlevs and all that stuff, and it's like not the same. It's not oh. like a little off. But there is an Azorian market, and I just found a new one like last week. But the one I went to was like I went there like the first couple of weeks I was living here, and the lady was like, "Oh, San Miguel, like oh your family's from there." Like she gave me her card. She's like, "Call me if you need anything." Like, "Welcome to Lisbon." Like, you need any, like Azorian <laughs> connection. See, very mafia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Here's my card. Yeah, but they have like all like the. <laughs> You know, pimenta and all of the good stuff, like the maracuja liquor and all the like oh. stuff you can get from the eight stores. So that's so, good. So tell me about the differences, like things that we just associate as being broadly Portuguese, but they're really probably not. Like you said, they're just Azorian. So is there like not much overlap between what we view as Portuguese? So like I miss like Casarla, for example, and like we don't have that here. They don't know what that is. Linguisa, they don't really have here. And for me, a lot of it's food related. I think like, those are, like <laughs> they don't have a lot of like the foods that we normally eat. Or like I was so excited for Easter because like they have a mass savada and like I love sweet bread. Like like in the Easter you always have it that hard boiled egg. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. do that here, but the bread's not sweet bread. It's like some weird like fennel. Is that like the right word for it? Like some weird like spice. What are, and my what parents, are they <laughs> my parents and my sister came for Easter and are like so excited to be saw it. And like obviously like and it's been really cool to like have my parents come visit and like you know, things that their childhood, like with their grandparents, like they see it in real life. Like all, my dad gets all excited, especially. But he's like, we're all excited to eat this like, massive savata. And it was not that oh, at all. No. Oh, no. Not as good. So like that, I think. And also just like the, the way of being. I think Azorians were loud people, for example. Like I just yeah. assumed that all Portuguese people are loud. <laughs> they're not. Like people in, I think Lisbon, they're trying to be like very like fancy or I don't know, like their city, the capital. They kind of have that mindset. And it's yeah. not like from an outside point of view, I don't think you would recognize like they're being rude. They're not being rude, but it's kind of just like they do hold themselves in that way. Um, while like, Azorians were just like loud and like the way that like, Azorians speak is like, and, I, and I've 
been to like the, to the Azores like three times this year. So like I'm a, I love going. It's super cheap. I went like for like eighty euros round trip one time. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, it's just like it's so funny because I'm like now I can hear the way the words that we pronounce different words. I'm like oh now I get why it's that or like just like it's wild. Like once I started understanding the differences between the language, I'm like I just like you don't know. And like Portuguese people here on the continent like don't understand people from Sao Miguel specifically, and like they have to put subtitles on TV for people that talk. I saw that. I saw. I've seen like YouTube clips of like, like they just use it as an example. They're like, "Look at this guy from Rob Pish," <laughs> and then you have to put the <laughs> subtitles. They're making a Netflix series. I don't know if you know about Rob Pish. So, oh, do you guys know the story behind Rob Pish with the drug problem? No, no. But I mean, it's always been. It's always had like a weird stigma around. It, yeah, for sure. <laughs> And it's like quite the story. And I was like, I actually think I was like listening to the podcast. I'm like, I need to tell this story. I'm so glad it came up. Yeah, so, please do. I'm in my Portuguese class in Madrid. Um, and my Portuguese teacher at the time was from Lisbon. So she's like telling a story and she like loved like the Azorian connections. So she always would try to bring things up in class. And she was like, did you know about how with the fish? And I was like, I just know like you don't understand a word they say. <laughs> and, like it had this weird stigma of like on yeah. the island, like you don't go there. Right. You don't go there. You don't want to date anyone from there. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. And this is what the Netflix show is going to talk about. So this is oh, wild. No. So my teacher told me this story. She's like, well, I think it was in the 90s. But it could be the 70s. So please fact check me anyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, there is this boat crossing the Atlantic. Like a big, like, they call it freight boats or something like that. That um, had like all had cocaine on it. So like it had a bunch of cocaine from South America and they're bringing it to Europe. But it got like. I don't know if it got shipwrecked or like it broke down and it sunk. No, it all washed ashore. <laughs> all the bags of cocaine washed ashore. And our lovely Azorian people, who I love very much, you know, like you know, Tia Maria was at the beach being like, sugar, right? <laughs> so she like, they have started all putting like, it as, using it as sugar in their coffee. So like, basically, like there was a whole like epidemic basically in Habit Fish because they didn't know that it was cocaine so they're like using it as flour and the food and like all getting like screwed up and like to this day there is the Portuguese government has to send like a Narcan ban to Habit Fish every week to everyone get their fix because like they didn't they all got addicted and didn't realize so that's why like they can't speak <laughs> it's all drugs I'm dead <laughs> they were all doing pretty much coke yes <laughs> This is why you don't want to date anyone from me. <laughs> you have to ask your parents. I feel like I never heard that story. And then like my Lisbon Portuguese teacher, she had the story. And I looked it up and it's real. I just remember growing up, my father would just be like, you don't want to date anyone from Holt Fish. You don't want, you know, not to mm -hmm. hate on people from Holt Fish. Because I'm sure there are a lot of the lovely people from there. But yeah, that was always the biggest thing. Ah, Mikesh, Mikesh Kazaku, anyone from Holt Fish? Ah, no, no, no. We don't go to Holt Fish, but no. So is that's just like the location where the bricks washed ashore? Yes. <laughs> oh my god, my mom would think it was sugar too. What they? They don't know. Yeah. Imagine making like making melisadish with it. It's coming out on Netflix, and they're gonna have to have subtitles. Pretty sure. <laughs> they they use a lot of sugar <laughs> and flour too, so, they do, so they like don't everything. Mess so. Oh my god, and like the. Have seen you know, like just throwing it all in there. Uh, <laughs> God, they must have a low rate, like low diabetes rate. Oh you know, they're God, using yeah. all the sugar. <laughs> and it's a sugar substitute. Yeah, like <laughs> so bad. So that's why. Yeah, 
I feel like they don't understand them. But I feel like all, even on the island itself, like from one village to the next, it's like, what the heck? Like I spent a lot of time in Hiberakent, which is like the south side of San Miguel. I have a friend and her father mm-hmm. from there. And like they speak so weird. But then like the next from Punta Garza, which is like the town over, I can understand them perfectly. And just like wow. oh, a lot of it's geographical isolation. So like when you look at language, like development, like the history of language in general, a lot of times, like for example, why does England have so many different accents? It's because of geographical isolation. So being isolated for so long, you just like develop things that just evolve over time. So like the Azores, for example, that's why they're so unique. People were there, like placed there in the 16, like from the late 1400s until now. And like, just had to sort like, here's your Portuguese, good luck. And then like, it just all developed. So like Tibet Kent, for example, is very geographically isolated. There's one road to get in there and one road. They're like fixing it right now, I think. Exactly. Or, yes, they are. I was just yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they just have a weird, weird worksheet. So you're like, what is going on? That so. was my biggest take. I keep talking about it. It comes up on like every episode, but like I could not get over the fact of the geography of the island and mm-hmm. how like the highs and the lows of that island, like you're in one village and you're like on a mountaintop and then mm-hmm. the next village over is at sea level and you're like like it's exactly. just ridiculous well, how do people survive <laughs> to understand like <laughs> farming and like i don't even know like on the hills with the cows i'm like and like we're all like <laughs> just in, like nervous people i don't understand how that worked but it worked <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, just all of that. That's so funny. When I just went over there in our village, there was, um, there's like one little cafe. There was like a guy who would just every day would just be sitting on the bench outside the cafe, like smoking his cigarettes and just like spouting nonsense at whoever like walked into the cafe. And I said something to my dad. I was like, oh, that guy's kind of a trip. Right. And he's like, oh yeah, he's from Rob Fish. He moved to the U.S. and then he got deported. So I think at one point he lived in New Bedford. Maybe he brought some of his sugar over there. But... <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> so now he's deported and he just sits outside the cafe on a bench. Just yeah, we probably were in the Azores in August. Yeah, I was there too. So we probably were there at the same time. <laughs> oh, that's so oh funny. that is funny. It's just like weird. I remember like I had a friend from Fall River. And like, I remember she was trying to order, some lady was struggling and, and her parents were from San Miguel and like, it's very similar to Kelly's situation. Like they're not speaking, like they speak Portuguese in the house. And that's it. She's like, I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. And I think her family is from near the Hub of the Pesh area. <laughs> so, sorry, Stacy, for <laughs> listening to this, but you're from out there. And I think she's like, she's with my cousin and they're like trying to help this French woman who wanted ice. So what she was like, my friendly yeah, on her, you know, Azorian accent was like, Lou, but like said it really quick or whatever. And the lady thought was Jaladzu. So, like came back with like ice cream <laughs> and my water <laughs> but i think they're used to it enough they'd be like oh okay fine but it was it was hard for me even to kind of get it because i'm so rusty and because my language is so messed up from the immigrant community that like it was hard for me even in the azores so i can imagine that the people in lisbon would look at me like i had five yeah. heads with anything that i tried to say yeah, and I feel like in the north of Portugal, they speak the clear. It's very, very clear. And I feel like it's similar to a Spanish accent slightly. So, like, they do some things that are similar. So, I can understand, like, people from Portugal, like, easily. Like, Lisbon, like, they have a lot of weird accents within the city. So, and it depends, I think, a lot on, like, education level as well, um, unfortunately. But I think mm-hmm. it is like that. So, like, it is, like, sometimes I'm, like, some people, I'm, like, yeah, I understand everything you're saying. And some people are, like, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a good amount of people that speak in, like any English? Everyone's or... here. So like 
I mean, for me, that's like one thing I do is very much like, I want to make sure I'm like trying to speak the language. Like, and that's a big problem in Portugal, especially in Lisbon right now. It's like a lot of foreigners are coming here. It's a cheaper like price of like cost mm-hmm. of living essentially. And it's like, you can buy an apartment. It's just like this like Mecca, I guess, for like people that want to like work remotely. So like, I'm part of this problem as well. I fully understand that. But um, <laughs> it's just like, like my barber told me that too, but that's a whole other story. He was like, you're not, you're part of the problem, but you're not the problem. So I was like, okay. But like, I always <laughs> want to make sure that I, I do speak Portuguese, but like, it is kind of nice sometimes to be like, if you have, like when I first moved here too, like my Portuguese was rusty and like, I spoke like Portuñol basically. Uh, everyone's like, you're from Spain. I'm like, no, but um, I mean, better than saying I'm American. But um, they, yeah, it was just like very weird, the transition. But like, I always would force myself to be like, I want to practice. And people here are so receptive to that. And now it's like very much like part of my normal life. And like, it's like really nice. because I feel like I lived in Spain for like eight years in total. No one ever said like, oh, you're from, you're Spanish. Never. I feel like they're always like, we don't know where you're from. Great accent, but you're not Spanish. And here people are like, oh yeah, you're Portuguese. And I'm like, and I'm like, you know, like, <laughs> it's like that's been a really cool part about moving back here it's just like I'm, i swear like people just look at you and they're like oh you're portuguese like in a group of foreigners they just know by like my look i guess i don't you know look yes you certainly but look portuguese yeah i was like yes finally because i never yeah. not that like it is it is who i am but in spain i never wanted to be a spaniard but that was like another reason why i wanted to leave in a way because i felt like i always was the outsider and i never right. was going to be on the inside and i feel like i just culturally too and like you realize it and I think like, um, yeah, you just kind of realize a lot, like the way you act is, it's like cultural. Like here, I felt like I just like, I clicked. I feel like it was a very much like I fit in, in terms of like, I understand how to like get in a conversation, how to like address people, how to touch people, how to treat people. A lot in Spain, for example, that was a huge culture shock to me because they're very direct people and mostly in Spain, but like, I'm not talking about Latin America because they're much more formal, more they have more respect in that sense. And the, the thing I love about Spanish people, but the thing that was shocking was how direct they are and how touchy they are all the time. I feel like Azorians are touchy too. Like my dad very much when we're talking, will hit my arm all the time to make sure I'm paying. <laughs> but like, I feel like it was just like very intense in Spain. Um, and like, that was a shock for me at first too. Like in a conversation with Spaniards, like if you want to show interest in the conversation, you interrupt the person and talk over them and talk about your topic. And that's not rude. That's like, known more it's like it's called like discourse pattern pattern something like that and for them that's a way to show interest that you care but like for me i never spoke for a while i'm like why am i not talking and i'm like oh yeah i'm an american waiting for my turn to speak so right. i feel like little things like that you don't realize it and then moving here it was just felt like i just felt like i'm with my people like i just feel like i'm at home it's like just a weird weird feeling but it's really nice at the same time i just i feel like i get them and they get me that's so cool and definitely it's a whole different vibe like the second a Portuguese person finds out that you're also Portuguese. Like, it's like, it's like you've known each other your whole lives. It's like, there's, there's just this cultural connection that is indescribable. Like you said, you listened to our podcast and you were like, I feel like I know these people. And it's just, yeah, because there's just this innate connection and it's so cool. And like one of my friends here actually is like Portuguese American. Like her fam, her mother's from Madeira and her dad's from Santa Maria. And she grew up in Rhode Island and like, that was like how we met was because I actually like followed her like years ago. She has a travel blogger. She'd be great on this podcast, by the way. Just going to throw that out there. She's very funny. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> but she's like a, a travel influencer and like a body positive travel influencer. So like, but I was looked her up like on a blog that she did about getting Portuguese citizenship. And so we can talk about that in a second too, that whole process. That's wild. But she, I found that. So I was like, oh yeah. And then I'm like, oh wait, she's from Rhode Island. Like she seems really cool. Like, so I just started following her because she did a lot of like traveling through Europe and I'm like, we have similar vibes, but I felt like 
I got to know her in a weird way over time. And I was like, I think we'd be really cool, like good friends, like whatever. But I don't know, I'll keep following her. Then I saw that like her and her wife moved to Lisbon. Um, so then I was like, I think somehow slipped into her DMs and I was just like, listen, like, <laughs> like, I think like kind of what I did here about the one thing I've learned making friends when you're 30 is hard. So you yes. just get yourself out there. So yeah. I think we'd be friends. Hard. And now like her and her wife, like we're really like great friends. You know, just because I felt like I knew her my whole life. It just feels like I close right. my eyes. And it's the same thing with the podcast. Like I hear you guys talk and like the accent too. And just like you say certain things, like we speak the same. And it's such like a, it's a very, it's <laughs> like within Massachusetts too, people don't get it. Like we are a sub community of like our Portuguese American people. And just like, we speak a funny way. We have like, I don't have that accent with right now, but like when my parents, I speak to them, I do. It comes out all the time or if I'm really drunk, it comes yeah. out. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like it's just like <laughs> part of our identity, and I think that's what fascinates me about language is is like how it can be so like this is who we are. So like even hearing that accent, like hear you guys in the podcast, it's like it reminds me so much of home and like my people in a way. So it's it's cool. so funny because I've been told by people who like on my husband's side of the family who he's not Portuguese, and mm-hmm. they only know kind of the version of me when I'm around them, mm-hmm. and they they haven't really seen me around my family or friends or people that mm-hmm. I would communicate with. And they, they listen to the podcast and then they say, they're like, you sound different on the podcast. Like your, your accent when you're talking with Kelly is mm-hmm. like way more Portuguese yep. Fall River. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? it's like whole, yeah. That's yeah, like that's one cool. thing I studied a lot too. And I forget the exact name of it, but a lot, I mean, Disclosia is like when there's two like languages or like pragmatic living in the same time. So like, it's kind of like we would speak the same way to each other, but like, but that someone else is not the same. Like I've learned a lot that in my life, like living away from like living in Massachusetts and like living with people that weren't from New Bedford, like I had to change the way I spoke and living here, for example, like I had to be clearer in my English because I was teaching English, but I also couldn't have a strong, like couldn't say WADA and all that stuff like, <laughs> all the time. Like, so like you learn and that's very much part of like how to navigate situations. And it's like kind of like a survival mechanism at the same time. So a lot of immigrants too, like have that experience of like, switching not and within the same language doesn't have to be necessarily like switching between languages but you're switching between like the two codes like two different um, dialects mm-hmm. i never knew that i had a quote-unquote accent or something you would consider an accent until i met my husband and he was like you have a really strong accent and i'm like what do you mean <laughs> like <laughs> it doesn't sound like and i went to the mid i went to the midwest and colorado recently and everyone's like yeah you New, like new england i'm like what and, but it's so funny like one of the things i think on the show like the first thing you talked about was like kelly like people were complaining about your accent or whatever and like don't make fun of the accent I'm, like that accent is like home to me especially kelly's it's like home I just <laughs> <laughs> don't I lose it, it ever i mean i make fun of my parents all the time for no, their accent and like come on mom like adding r's where they don't exist and like saying things like very wacky things <laughs> but i do love it it reminds me of like where i'm from so yeah be proud of your that. accent Go park the car. I mean, my name is Kyla at home. It's not Kyla. I remember like explaining to my 24 year old cousin at the time, like in Madrid, we're walking in the park, and I was like, Janelle, like, you know, it's drawer, not draw. She's like, what? And I'm like, drawer, W R A W E R. And she's like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. It's draw. (laughs) (laughs) My dad was like, Kyla, put your shots in the draw. Yeah. Like, it's in the drawer. <laughs> so yeah, it's very much it's fun, but I think it's really uh, part of like the identity that we have. I I love that because we tend to get in our heads about that sometimes, and like especially in this 
this oh, medium where time. it's podcasting and it's yeah. audio only a lot of the times that people are listening to. And if they're from our area, they connect with it, but other people can be turned off by that. You yeah. know, like, oh, I was so worried. I was like, Melissa, I feel like sometimes when I speak, I sound like unprofessional <laughs> or, you know, I'm not a super professional person to begin with. I like right. to laugh and be funny and joke, but I'm like, I don't want to come across like I'm from whole. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't get over that. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, and I'm like, it's because like I speak English and I speak my broken English to my parents. And then sometimes it's my full Portuguese when I speak to my parents. So Identity. I just have a lot coming out of this mouth. And I'm like, I'm worried about the podcast. Like, I'm going to sound like quote unquote dumb. But I think for me, like, it's funny, like you have different personalities and languages you speak. I feel like in so like I'm in Spanish, for example, I'm way more aggressive and people are like, what? but I, I feel like different in that language sometimes. Yeah. You have to, a lot of it's survival mechanism. So I feel like it's so common to feel like you have these different hats that you have to put on to like survive in different situations. I think that's, that's very common in like a bilingual community sure, or bicultural community. I think. So tell us about that whole process of citizenship. Cause we both talk about how we, yes. we haven't done it yet, but we want to get our dual citizenship. So I just, Finally applied in July, which I was very excited about because I, I can explain what we had to do to get there. But they were like, normally that process, because now it's my dad who's a Portuguese citizen. So I'm applying through him. So it's like the same situation that you guys would both be in. And I was like, oh, yeah, it takes like six to eight months. Or I seen like 12 months. I was like, you know what? I waited since I've been trying to do this for like six years. Like, it's okay. Now it's like two years. And the lawyers just told me. So because uh, every, but like for us, uh, like being born and anywhere except Brazil. So Brazilians can apply to like any office in Portugal, but all of our processes have to be through Lisbon. And they like basically changed so, like the Sephardic Jula I was talking about with my friend. They just like mm -hmm. the whole story, but and this could be a whole podcast episode about nationality. So I will try to be as concise <laughs> as possible, but that law just changed because there is like corrupt, um, like the Sephardic community, I think like in Lisbon that has to approve like the ties to the Sephardic community. They were like giving Russian oligarchs, um, like um, kind of like letting people get by and get European passports. So they had to change the war in Ukraine. Oh. So then, like a lot of people were rushing before September first to like get their applications in, and they got like three thousand applications a day in August. Um, oh man! Really backed up. We're trying to digital oh. digitalize the process, which should speed things up, but like Portuguese time, you got to be patient with this stuff. So the ways to so I hundred percent recommend doing it it's obviously something that i want to do because i live in europe and it's really helpful in your day-to-day -day, but i just think it's like um between portugal and the u.s there's no like weird any law that would like not allow you to some countries are weird about having two passports but like we're totally fine to do that and not only does it give you citizenship in portugal so you can live in portugal for as long as you want but it gives you citizenship in the european union so you can live in 27 other countries yeah. or more than that too sometimes so not the uk anymore because of brexit but um so it gives you the right, if you can get employment in those countries to live there, essentially. So it opens a lot of doors. And I think now in this like weird political climate that we're in, I think it's really good to maybe have a backup. Um, so yeah, for, absolutely. For, like, the, through generations, like if your parent is Portuguese and you're like the Portuguese child, you have the direct right to get it. And it's very simple. So what you would have to do basically is that you have to make sure your parents are like their marriage certificate is registered in Portugal in most cases. It's whenever like the father, like the Portuguese citizen isn't the one declaring the birth at the time. I know it's a weird process, but most people have to get the marriage certified in Portugal, which you can do at the consulate. Um, there's one in Fall River, I'm pretty sure, one in New Bedford. Mm -hmm. you, 
the Boston one mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then you have to just have your birth certificate and you have to, to send that in. Um, and then you don't have to translate it or anything. The only thing you have to get, I think, is an apostille, which is like an international notary, essentially. You can get that in the, the state of Massachusetts, for example, offers that. And it's a very simple like paper that gets on top of that. And then you send it in and you have to wait now two years. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but hopefully things move oh, wow. ahead. My dad applied because his father like was never registered as a Portuguese citizen. Because like I said before, so like if you have kids after this goes, it never ends. If you, if you register the birth in Portugal, you always have to do that. Um, my dad's father, did, like his grandparents never registered his father. So like the line was broken. Um, but he applied as a grandchild, which is a two-year process, but we knew that going into it. And he had to take a Portuguese test, which he passed, and I helped him. And it was a very mm-hmm. wonderful experience to do, but very like scary and nerve-wracking experience, but he passed. So he finally became Portuguese. So that's one route you can get. And then my mother just applied um, as the wife of a Portuguese citizen. Um, and she would have to take a test if they were married for just three years, but they've been married for 30-something, so she doesn't. So it's a longer process as well. So that's a, like the main ways of getting it is through marriage through your parent or grandparent, um, or you can move here to Portugal, live here for five years and get it um, after that by taking a language test as well. It's just good to have it. And I think it's like, it opens a lot of doors for people. And I think like a big one, for example, is like education. Like a lot of um, like Norway, for example, in Sweden, they offer like free education to European citizens and like really good universities. So like as the tuition rates in the US go up, <laughs> um, it could be a good way. Like if you send your kid abroad to study for free, um, you don't That's- have to that. That's well. interesting. That's how I'll pitch it to my husband because he, he'll, he'll like the financial <laughs> savings. Yeah. Associated. And like, retire, it just would help, like, you know, in your daily life, if you like ever came to Portugal, you want to buy property in Portugal or you have health, access to the healthcare here. So it's like a lot of good things that come with it. And there's like just paperwork you have to do in waiting. All right. So this is perfect timing for our mental health segment. And so we've done a really good job of avoiding it throughout the episode, but that just means that we must have so much to talk about now. There's a lot to talk about. Well, we can start <laughs> from like, I don't know if like you guys talk about mental health in general, but and like tips and I have tips too. But I think the one thing that like really made me love the show was like, I think there's an episode about like, just like the agonias and like, um, Azor and like understanding like, we yeah. are so freaking anxious as a pe- like a people, like mm-hmm. my everyone in my family just like so high anxiety and i always wondered why and like the research did and like talking about and it makes so much sense like if you lived in a place where it could explode the next day or pirates could come and like rob and pillage your village like you would be freaking anxious as well (laughs) (laughs) survival mechanism in general so i feel like that for me really resonated when you guys talked about that for sure that was so eye-opening for me because we We've lived with these mm-hmm. like anxious people our whole lives, but I never, when I was growing up, I never realized like, or asked the questions like, why are we this way? Or why are we the way we are? And just kind of digging into that history of, of, of course they're like this, but yeah. then it's, it's like trickle down yeah. and it just, I don't know if it's nature or nurture or how it gets to us, but <laughs> yeah. Like every day I'm fighting <laughs> generational trauma, like that has shaped me who I like into who I am today. but. I just feel like, yeah, it's like a very common thing that I just thought everyone was just anxious. I don't know. I just feel like we just think it's normal. And I'm like, this is not normal. <laughs> no, no. But that person oh, shouldn't act no. that way if they're so high anxiety. Like, you just don't realize that it's always anxiety. You just think they're like crazy people. 
Right. And like, uh, I saw the funniest thing, and this wasn't Portuguese related, but it was a TikTok video and it was about millennials. Gen Z asking millennials, like, how did you guys deal with anxiety? Like, oh my God, we have so much anxiety. How did you manage it? And then the millennial was like, we didn't know what it was called. <laughs> what? Yeah. Literally, we didn't have a name for it. We didn't have a name for it. Like, we just, no, that was just like how we lived. Like, we didn't know it was anxiety until we got much older and like <laughs> figured it out. <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> Because, like, that's not something that's, like, praised in yeah. our culture is going to therapy. Like, you talked about that before in episodes. But, like, still, I remember, like, my grandmother was here. And I told her, like, so I really had, I was like, I have to go to the therapy session. Because <laughs> it's, like, my therapist went on maternity leave. So, it was like, we only had, like, two left. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Grandma, but I got to go when you're here. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, like, I, yeah, I'm okay. But, like, I have my issues I'm working on. And she was like, and it, she was doing it from the love of her heart. So, I'm not trying to like, slander my grandmother at all. But she was just like... You're like, like I thought you were great. Like it seems like you're living a great life, and I'm like, yeah, but it's like okay not to be okay, Grandma. Like, <laughs> like generational trauma that I'm dealing from. Like all y'all, that I'm like, have, have survived. yeah. I'm anytime, like, oh. anytime I talk about therapy with my mom yeah. or like going back or whatever, my mom would be like, "Why? What's wrong? Are you okay? Like, what's going on? Like, she like harps on me. I'm like, it's okay to go to therapy, even if like." you're okay at the moment it's just still good to continue to go like i don't it doesn't have to be like dire like something does not need to be happening at that moment that i need to go to therapy like i should be able to just go and like she just doesn't get it and i feel like that's the hardest part when you're talking to your family or you know trying to they don't know what you're talking about they don't know like the the labels or the tools or how you're working on it like they can feel the same emotions you have because you probably gained a lot of it from them but it's hard because like they don't know because they just didn't have awareness of that when they were growing up and especially in an immigrant community. Like my mom went to therapy for a little bit after like my grandparents died. She had a hard time after both they died like six months apart from each other and so when they died they lived in the Azor so my mom wasn't around when they died. She had a hard time. So she did go to therapy for a little bit to like work on that and I'm like so, so in her brain she just thinks like something bad quote unquote mm-hmm. bad needs to happen in your yeah. life to go to therapy and i'm like no it's i took it's maintenance <laughs> exactly this is like the funniest thing my, i had like gone to visit my parents and somehow i forgot my medication there like i don't know if i left it in the bathroom or whatever so she finds it oh boy oh man and she says oh i brought your you left something at my house i brought it back for you and she brought back the medication mm-hmm. also with a side of holy water and so she she had like a little like Portuguese religious care package with the with the anxiety that's like I you know I saw I found I know what those pills are for. <laughs> that's hilarious. She probably did her research like oh, okay what is this? <laughs> yeah oh no doubt she like googled like what the, like I don't know what it was if it was Lexapro or something. <laughs> that's so funny. With the holy water, I said she brought it back, and I'm like. Are you kidding me? Like, it's just, that's the mentality, though, that the way it's always been. Like, yeah. you need Jesus. You don't need pills. You need Jesus. Oh, have a rosary in my backpack when I fly. <laughs> <laughs> that was blessed in Fatima. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I just, like, that's what I was raised to. I think that's a big part of, I didn't touch upon that, but religion in our culture is very strong. And I went to church every week. And I now look back and I appreciate the time with my family. And, like, I do, I consider myself a very spiritual person. And I'm glad that I have a foundation in that. I realized like that Saints episode that you guys did was hilarious. I'm like, it's <laughs> it's like, it doesn't make sense. But like, I feel like 
that part. And I think that's what a big thing about me living here and seeing it firsthand is like the importance, like the church, I guess, in our community represents the community. Like it was a place for people to come together um, and the importance mm-hmm. of family. So like seeing that in real life has been like, it kind of feels nice because you kind of, I feel like I met a lot of other Americans that did not have that same experience as we did. And I feel like I'm just used to having my family as like a big unit. Like I know that if I was in trouble, I could call any of my aunts and uncles or my cousins and they all be on the next flight here coming like to all come and like, it's like my big fat Greek wedding. That yes. is, it's like, you yeah. know, the, they roll in deep and like, they're always there for you. And I feel like, but I also feel like it causes a lot of pain sometimes. Like family can be like, you expect it to be like a big unit and everyone to get along and to be happy. And I think it causes a lot of pressure too, to be like, Hey, I don't, maybe I don't get along with that person. That's okay. Like, <laughs> not like they have to be best friends, but right. But I feel like there's so much pressure to like have the perfect family unit in this culture as well. Or like, but it is part of who we are that like tighten it very close. But I think it also causes a lot of our problems too. at the same time, anxieties and. Oh, it totally does. Like the, the religion aspect, it, it does have, it holds like such a nostalgic component for me because we were so deeply ingrained in that oh. growing up. But at the same time, I'm like, is same with like the soup is like is this objectively good or am i just tied to it nostalgically and it's like <laughs> trying to separate that but i feel like it does make us like catholic guilt i always talk about that all the time like such catholic guilt like you just feel guilty about the littlest things like if i do this and like you know god's not yeah you're told that like god's gonna be mad at you and like oh, you gotta confess your sins i hate confession i think it's bizarre I'm, like why am i telling the priest all my problems yeah, but right. i feel like yeah, I feel like we have a lot of pressure and a lot of guilt that is tied in our, our community because of the religious aspect of it. I feel like that's one thing I've learned in life. It's like okay to be selfish. And I feel like we're from, so it ties into that because like I feel like we're in a community that's always focused on other people. And like that's why like Portuguese mother is trying to feed everyone all the time and like so outward so that we don't, when we consider like taking care of ourselves and our mental health. And you know, it's okay to have an argument with your mother because you're both grown adults and like you have your opinion. But I feel like we are very much like so outward in our thinking. That's something that I've learned a lot here. Cause I feel like it is really nice to be in a place where people are so helpful and so nice. But I'm like, same time, like they're not thinking about themselves. And I feel like that's always been something hard for me to do yeah. is just to be like, it's okay to like say no to somebody or it's okay to like express my opinion that's not going to be the same as somebody else's. But I feel like we were raised in a place that like you don't talk bad back to your parents or something. You don't talk back to your grandparents. You're not, you have to do what everyone says. And I think it's like, Heart. and it's like mm-hmm. i love it and i'm not you know talking badly about it but it does like do a mind suck in a way and you're like the way you think about everything and like always trying to be worried so much about what other people think rather than like taking care of yourself yeah uh 100 yeah 100 <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the work i've been doing in my terms of my mental health is not because and i'm like i'm saying this like love my i love my family and like my parents and my sister are like the closest people in my life and like my cousins and all of them like are so important to like my identity, who I am. But I feel like sometimes like in conversations, it can be like, well, I didn't mean to do this wrong. Or like, you know, like they think that I'm trying to like, and I think I went into therapy and like into that kind of like, you know, what's wrong? Did they did this wrong? And this is this and the generational trauma and all that stuff. But it's not that I'm, I'm not, I would never change my situation. I think it's like, that's so important to be like, I'm not changing who I am. And I love everything about you flaws and all, but I just need to understand mm-hmm. what, these things were and how it, it affected me and how it's impacting my day-to-day and take back kind of like that own control over my my actions and what I do and how I speak to people. And I feel like that's been like very eye-opening. It's kind of not trying to change the reality of the situation because you can't. Yeah, that's so true because, you know, when you look back at it, you're like, okay, 
it's easy to like, you know, Monday morning quarterback the whole situation and be like, oh, they never should have brought me up doing this or brought me up this way. But it's like, no, they were dealing with their own level of generational trauma. And they brought me up the way they did because that's what they knew. That's how they their parents and grandparents got brought up. And we know the reasons why. And that was all trickled down. And lucky for us, we're at a point where we can know enough to like, hey, maybe we're going to stop that right here. And we're not yeah. going to continue that on. And exactly. that's that's great. So like my child will have a different upbringing. I'm sure I'll traumatize her in other ways and she'll, <laughs> grow, she'll grow up and have a podcast about it at some point. But, but I'm at least like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop this part of it. And I'm not going to continue that on. But I, I, like you're saying, I'm not going to put blame on why they did what they did. Cause that's there, you know, when you, when you know better, do better, but they didn't know better and that's what they did. So for me, it's like yeah. the opposite. It's like, I think I've left, like not fell in love with more of my family in general, but I'm much prouder of them because they did go through very difficult situations and somehow raised me to be, and that's like my collective family. I feel like we've gone through a lot as a family, but like, we still love each other. We're still like, we came out. So like all the things that made me drive me nuts, I'm still like, I'm still proud of, I, I think that this whole like reevaluation of where I'm from and how I ended up to where I am today has only made me appreciate my family more. That's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So for anxiety, a weighted blanket. I was like, I need to say that one. It's like, <laughs> weighted blanket has been helpful, especially during the pandemic. Wait, you did you? So you bought one, yeah? Like during like the last week before lockdown, I was like, what things do I need? And one of them was a weighted blanket. I'm like, I need this. Like, I need someone to feel like I, they're hugging me with someone. Traumatic, but it was. Um, so I still use it. I couldn't even imagine being locked awful. down like that. Awful. A lot of like oh my God. bottles of wine consumed at a balcony, so that was really good. But it was like the sad part was like every day, like we were famous around the world in Spain for like clapping at eight o'clock for the nurses every day, and that was like the highlight of my day. It was like <laughs> going outside and seeing other people. And of course, I lived next to the police, next to the supermarket, and across the way was the Ministry of Health. That's where my house was. And I was like, make good decisions. But that meant like I had a lot of people used to have like balcony <laughs> parties, like it, it went viral, like on TikTok and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I saw those. Like, yeah. Like, I didn't even have that. Yeah. I just had like some lady on the side that we would clap. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I had my weighted blanket and a lot of red wine and gin and tonic. So, oh and I God. was able to work. So that was like the thing that helped me a lot. But the weighted blanket helped. And then like I think a routine is really helpful. I think you guys talked about that show maybe. But just like having a yeah. routine, like I feel like it can be good. It could be negative too if you're really tied to it. But it did help me a lot with my mental health, especially during that time. Yeah. So I had one question on here that didn't really come up. So I guess I'll leave it as our like parting question. What mm. do you think keeps people like the people who've immigrated mm. over? What do you think keeps them from going okay. back? Because you we go there as like a vacation destination. It's a super hot place. It's like, wow, this is an awesome place. Why? Who wouldn't want to live here? Right. You know, obviously, they've established roots in a different place now, but it didn't stop them the first time from moving exactly. over here. So I think a lot of it just like Portugal's reputation. I think a lot of people that live that left um, Portugal in our community are they left because it was so bad and maybe don't realize that it's actually like very much up and coming. Um, I mean, Portugal was in a very bad place like 10 years ago, for example. I think it was like 2012, oh. maybe like, during the, the big economic crisis. Um, they were like one of the worst countries in Europe. And the, I think it was the president or the prime minister, I forget which one, in Portugal went on TV and was like, any recent graduate, leave. So like Portugal had it because there were no jobs. And so now like 
Portugal like had a really bad representation, like reputation recently because of that. Like it has the biggest amount of emigration. So like during that time as well, the International Monetary Fund came to Portugal. It was like we need to do reevaluate all these things, which had led to like tax incentives. It led to increase in tourism, led to more people buying property here because it has good like deals in that sense. So I think like it's really interesting to be in Portugal now because like in this Renaissance, like it's really exciting time. I think there's people from all over the world. Like Lisbon's such a diverse city to live in that like it's on this big boom. But I just think that people in our community don't re- realize that, and especially like where we're from, most people from the Azores are not even thinking of like mainland Portugal, for example, as an option. Right, right. So it's that mentality, but it's like mm-hmm. if they were to open their minds a bit and be like, oh, what could be there? Like it's actually really it offers a lot, um, and it's like really exciting. And for me, it's been like such a life-changing experience i like the whole reverse immigration like i remember like getting really emotional when i bought my house um and uh, we were in lisbon and avenida de verdad which is like the most like you know ritzy street and like here i am like signing in this big notary office where i had to speak portuguese if i didn't they would stop it and like i wouldn't be able to buy a house if i didn't understand it but i asked that test that was scary oh, oh my god no. i'm like signing this paper and i'm just like looking out and I just got so emotional like thinking about like I think in our culture as well like the stories that are told are so much, they make who we are and I think being I always knew that my family came from nothing and like was able to really build a life for them and like I've always been proud of that so in the fact that like I was signing this paper like you know because of the opportunity that my family gave because they left their small towns in the middle like beginning of the 1900s like in the Azores went to the U.S. and like opened all these doors for me like it was such a surreal and beautiful experience to have that to be like you did this so I could do this and I'm back in your country and you probably never thought I would be here, but here I am. So <laughs> even to have those type of moments, it's been such a beautiful experience. I encourage anyone that's part of the diaspora to like definitely come back and try to experience it yourself and you're going to learn so much more about who you are. Well, thank you so much, Kyler, for coming on. This was an awesome conversation. We can have you on again anytime you'd like. Anytime. <laughs> I was keeping track of the number of times you said I could do a whole episode about <laughs> all oh, these other things. Always available, whatever you want. Maybe we can do an episode from Lisbon when you guys come. That'd be fun. <laughs> yes, we yes, have to. We have to travel there. We'll we'll be in touch when we're planning that trip. All right. See you guys. Definitely. See ya. Bye. Bye. So it's about that time. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast. Please just give us a review on whatever platform you're using to listen to us. You can also visit our website. It's folkandfad.com. We have transcripts available there of every episode. And you can also send us an email, mail at folkandfad.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. Same handle there, folkandfad. And for Instagram, you can follow us at underscore it's called culture.